doesn't always make our life better. It might make it easier in some respects, but I'm not sure if it really even does that. I remember I got to go back, you know, when I always, I, I've told you these kind of stories, but when 1964, I believe, or 60, something like that, that the uh, World's Fair in New York, and it was technology was booming. Nuclear energy was going to be everywhere. Kitchens were going to be push button. And it, just like they were coming out and saying, life is going to be so easy. First off, energy is going to be so cheap, it's going to be just about free. <laughs> Something was wrong with their prediction. But life was going to... Have you noticed that your life has become easier with all the gadgets? No. It's actually more demanding, isn't it? Our life is... I mean, microwaves can cook a meal in 15 minutes, 3 minutes, and yet how many people are just so busy? You know, we can travel what used to take years, if not months, in a matter of hours. Sorry, he's coming to get me. And we're, is it working? Okay, and yet we're still, we don't have enough time to get anything done. Where it used to be women had to wash their clothes by hand, we have washing machines, we just throw them in, we go to do all this other stuff, and yet, so there's, a, there's whatever, the Bible says, the Bible says, <laughs> for all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purposes. I believe everything that God doesn't does is going to work out for the good. However, because man, instinctively, by his nature, is anti-God, is sinful, I believe whatever we put our hand to, naturally, is going to increase to worseness. So now, oh, but look how wonderful we are. We have, you know, all this technology, but yet all the moral questions, all the dilemmas that go on in life, all the busyness, all the things that happen. And I heard a man say, this is just extra, this is just to get the running start of the message. I heard a man stay on the news or TV or some, somewhere that, uh, you know, nowadays you need, an, you need a lot of money if anything happens to you. I'll just make it very simple. I mean, if you get sick, you know, you're talking... When I was born, I have, I have the, the receipt of when I was born. I think my mom wants to return it sometime. But... <laughs> It's a little receipt like you'd get it like at a restaurant or something. Delivery, three days in the hospital, $150. I mean, you can, you can spring for that. I mean, I don't think I'm worth that even. But. but now if you go to the hospital, you're talking thousands of dollars. You're talking of having to, you know, retire. You know, what, what your house payments used to be is what you owe in taxes. So there's a new economy going on in the world, and it has been going on. It has been going on and going on, but we also know that things are going to become worse and worse as the day of the Lord approaches. They're not going to get better and better. As a matter of fact, our eyes need to be open to see God working because the eyes of sinful man will never see the glory of God, will never recognize God actually moving. And many times we actually think that we're going to like get it together and somehow actually stop the bad stuff from happening. But that's not... I, I mean, we think that. You know, we think hopefully like the, 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 the midterm elections are coming up. I hope we get some good people in. Well, you know, I kind of have those natural hopes too. But there is no good people. And no matter what happens, the book of Revelations is coming and someday the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back to judge the world. 
So don't have any hope in this world. See, the Bible says we are of the, we're in this world, but we're not of it. And there is one of the constant battles that we have. We find ourselves always being pulled by the world, pulled by our own emotions, pulled by everything, temptations, trials, and just the very consciousness of ourself. And I'll get back to that. But we're talking that we're living in a world where money runs people's lives. It used to be you could get by with a little bit of money. If anything happened, okay, you go $50 here. Or the, but now, you need a lot of money if anything happens to you. And so again, there's the Antichrist is already at work. John is talking about this. I'm not speaking this. John said the Antichrist is already in the world. And it's getting worse and worse. And there's a satanic mindset that is moving in the world. So it used to be that in the beginning there was a great economy. And this is God's economy. In the beginning, there is God. And God created everything, and everything was good. And Adam and Eve didn't have to worry about retirement. They didn't have to worry about health insurance. They didn't have to worry about, you know, recycling. They didn't have to worry about what kind of clothes they were going to wear or anything like that. They didn't have to worry about what they needed to eat. Now we go forward several thousand years, Jesus actually reminds us of that. He says, make sure you don't get caught up with the things of this world. Your life is not what you eat. Now, how many people really... I mean, I'm, 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 I, I love to eat. So I think of food just because I like to eat. But how many times are we like caught up with what we eat? Well, Jesus said, don't do that. Now, how many heard that? Yeah, but. How many heard the yeah, but? But you need to take care of yourself. You know, you don't have to worry too much about that. Because the Bible makes a statement that no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Now, why does God say that? Not so you take care of yourself, because basically he's saying, you need to take care of your wife. And how should you take care of your wife? As you love your own flesh. Oh, yeah. Because I'm always going to take care of myself naturally. But my wife might have to yell at her. Might have to blame her. Might have to get upset at the church saying, no, that's not what you should be doing. Even in the natural, you are number one. And so there's, there's this struggle, like we are in the world, but not of it. And that's the warfare that goes on, is having to remain separate. So we're back in the garden, and we're going to be in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, several thousand years later, I mean, in our time, in God's time, there was no... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it was, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's purpose, which is His Word, was fulfilled in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But He said, your life is not what you eat, not what you wear. Have you noticed that's a really big item? That's why it says that later on, don't be... Don't be overtaken with the fashions of this world. Oh, you're wearing a designer so-and-so. You're what... what it, don't do that. Now, now, how many people feel something going on in them? Now, whenever you feel this kind of thing right about here, maybe here, it, you kind of feel this, recognize that's God touching your life. Not your stuff. He's touching an area of your life that's hidden. That that's the area 
he wants to speak to. The young ruler, remember the young rich ruler? He said, what good thing, what should I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, keep the commandments. And he says, well, I've been doing that. He's feeling pretty good. Have you ever noticed when you're feeling pretty good, you actually think you're close to God, but you're not? This is, again, something in the kingdom of God we need to understand. It's through suffering that we really come to know Him. Now, again, why do we have to talk about suffering? I don't know. It seems to be that's what's in the book. Now, there's two types of suffering that we, we, we enter into. We either enter into one that is under the law because we're not keeping the law or we break the law. There is suffering that comes upon us. Even Peter says that. He says, you know, if you do wrong, the police are going to get you. I'm just paraphrasing. Back then, he actually says it in a much stronger word, and they actually understood that. They don't carry the sword in vain. Very speedy trial at that time. You're guilty. Done deal. There's a suffering that happens when we just do wrong things when we break the commandments of God, when we go our own way. Paul has it another way. Jesus comes to the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle Paul. His name was Saul. says, isn't it hard to kick against the thorns? He was going his own way, and these things, something was going on in him. And God was going to touch that. He was going to bring turmoil to that place. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Now, when he is able then to deal with this, not taking this... Many times we get this turmoil that's within us and we want to blame it on somebody else. Like the Pharisees. Oh, you're of the devil. Ah, you don't know what kind of woman that is. Ah, you're not really the king. No, God was trying to grab hold of them in the deepest area of their life. He doesn't want his, your stuff. He doesn't want you to follow. He wants you. See, that's what Paul says. I didn't come just, I want you. Now, that takes denying ourselves. See, that takes laying down our life. And so the young rich ruler, what must I do to be saved? And he's saying, keep all the commandments. I think he came up a little bit on that one. He's doing pretty good. I've, I've done all those things. But one, what is it that I still lack? And then Jesus knows that one area, well, it might be, I don't know if there's one area, but there's an area that touches you See, Jesus is going to be able to touch you like nobody else can. He's going to touch that one area of your life that you hold on to. And if you hold on to that area, it's idolatry. It's something that is exalts itself above the knowledge of God, and he wants to say, will you trust me above this? Young rich ruler, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, what did the young rich ruler... He was crushed because that touched him. And it said, and it says very interesting about that scripture. One place says, Jesus loved him and said. See, now many times, oh, you don't love me. Oh, you're just treating me. No, I, out of his love, Jesus would speak to that area that was keeping him, maybe feeling good, maybe feeling self-righteous, but keeping him far from God. Unless you sell all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. So, as the word comes and I'm preaching and life goes through, recognize when there's this... That means the Holy Spirit is working in your life, in my, my, my understanding. Now, you need to recognize that, and it's that thing that you're... I'll never... Let that go. Let that go. What, what kept Paul 
away from God so long. Well, he rehearses that in, in Ephesians 4. No, Ephesians, Philippians. That's touching the law blameless. I was righteous. I was a Jew above of Jews. I did this. I, according to I zealous, I was serving God. I was... These are things that are mine. These are things that I believe. These are things that I experience God in. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ Himself, would come to him and touch him to where all those things that he had... It was his life. It was his identity. Oh, that's Saul. That's the man of the Sanhedrin. That's the Pharisee. That's the man of the person. That he's doing a great work. Jesus would touch that area and he would say, Lord, it is all yours. And his mindset... Not, now again, I don't believe that from that point on he was not tempted or tried with those things. I think there was times he... Maybe his back is laid open in the, in the, in the jail. Say, man, wouldn't it have been nice if I just would have opened a little Hebrew school and would have been teaching him about Jesus. I think there was those trials that went on. But there was a fundamental thing that would come to him and say, huh. and he began to praise God in that prison. That wasn't a natural thing. But, and it also didn't just come because he was saved. It came because he said, I desire him above my own life. There's always these, I desire him more than what I eat, more than what I wear, more than my free time, more than the activities, more than, more than, more than, more than. We have been restored where in the beginning there was God and we had a relationship with him. And then all we sinned, all this other stuff came into our life, what we should eat, what we should wear, what we should live, what we should do. And we started. We, what, what actually came, what actually rose in us when we sinned is not just sin in the sense of like we did wrong. Sin is not necessarily wrong actions. It's a wrong relationship with God that will produce greater and greater wrong actions. See, the sin of Adam and Eve. What was it? What wrong thing did they do? Well, they ate some fruit off of a tree. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. And we get all. Well, I don't see anything wrong with. No, you don't see anything wrong with it because your eyes yet are still blinded. So you don't understand that that was disobedience. And disobedience really comes from not loving, from not having faith. And so, well, there's nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with eating fruit. That's not what God was judging them for. He was judging them that their love had grown cold. He was judging them for their faith had waned. He was judging them for they cut off their relationship. And what what was it involved in? what we should eat, what we should drink, what we should wear. And John actually makes it clear, the pride of the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All those, all the, anything that you get tried with, anything that brings that up is going to be related to some way in that. The lust of the eye. I just want to look at some stuff. I just, the lust of the flesh. I just want to feel good. I want to wear this. I want to, to be accepted. To be, the pride of life. Well, I think I know some things I've been... All those things are sin in its most... It's the sin that sent Jesus to the cross. And God is going to bring the Word to where that area is going to bring turmoil to where I say, Oh God, I have to give you my entire life. And at some point, my thinking then changes. Like Paul, his thinking then was changing. He rose up from Adam when he got prayed for. His eyes were opened. He got filled, baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. What did he do? immediately started preaching the gospel. His mind had changed. 
said, no, I, I no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I want to apprehend that which I've been apprehended of Christ for. Now, this is the area that I believe we need to be as people of God pressing into. Letting us apprehend. We have been apprehended. We've been grabbed hold of just like the Apostle Paul. We, Paul Jesus brought down and went into his life and he was grabbed for a reason. Now, if we love him, and we're going to look at that, we will apprehend that which we've been apprehended of Christ for. Let's t- we said, no, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Because as people, we are in this thing called life, and in life there's this suffering, and even more so, even more so, as a Christian, as one who has been called out of the world, because the Bible says... Don't be amazed if the, if the world has hated me. Jesus said, if the world hates me, the world hates you. You are now hated by the devil. You are hated by the world. It doesn't matter what, what you want to say, what you want to wear. You can try to become a turncoat. You can try to become anything you want. But the devil has got you marked because God has marked you. And he is going to war against you and try to bring you into everything. But no matter what he promises, the devil hates you. See, his ultimate desire is to thwart God's purpose in your life. Just like he came to Jesus. Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. And they were his to give. They were in his hand. The Bible says he, all the world lays in the lap of the wicked one. He's able to give those things. think he would have given them because he's not interested in those things only uses them to deceive people. But Jesus understood a greater purpose. He said, no, I'm not interested in that. But we as people are caught in this, this, this battle, and I believe we need to be people that arm ourselves, put on the mind of Christ, put on the full armor of God. In Timothy, it talks about warring the good fight of faith. I think we need to arm ourselves with that mind that we are in warfare and there is no peace treaty. You could be overcome, you can be taken, you can be absorbed, but the warfare is going to go on. The only thing that's going to make any difference is you will not have God's purpose fulfilled in your life. Now, if we understand that in this world there's going to be this suffering, and more so, as I said, as a Christian, because we are not of this world. It's almost like you know when they have uh, you got you got organ transplants. It's a great idea, but and it's really trying to heal the body. But you know the body doesn't even recognize it. Doesn't understand. You. I'm trying to help you. You ever try to catch a little bird or hurt, help a dog that's hurt? They try to bite you and stuff. They don't understand. It's trying to help you. Well, see, we are like a organ transplant that the body's trying to reject, and we need a lot of antibodies. Now God gives us all the antibodies to work with. But we need to apprehend those things. We are here to be the salt of this world, the light of this world, to be preaching the gospel, to show forth a mindset and a lifestyle that says, I am nothing and Christ is everything. Now that's, when, when I, like I said, when we sin, the real thing that happened in us is we became self-aware. You know, before that time, uh, there was nothing too, go- nothing too big God could ask of Adam. Adam, I want you to name all the animals. 
I don't even have a laptop. How am I going to do that? What is the deal? I don't even know. Wasn't self-conscious. Wasn't self-conscious of failure or success or his inabilities or lack of ability. Didn't matter. He had a relationship with God. Adam, I want you to take care of the entire garden. Man, I think that's a lot of work. I don't know. No. All of those things come after sin. Being afraid. We were afraid. We heard your voice. Uh, we knew there was a problem. We had to get dressed. Uh, it wasn't my fault. It was my... See, all those things come self-awareness. The lust of the eye, the pride of life, uh, and the lust, lust of the flesh come from self-awareness. Now, when Christ comes into the world, the Word that was with the beginning became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of God. Now, what glory did we see in Jesus? We didn't see anything in the natural that we should behold and say, oh, wow, not a halo person, not this kind of... We saw the glory as God desired to reveal Himself in flesh in this earth. And by faith, and as the Holy Spirit drew our people, they would say, that's the Messiah. That's the Son of God. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I think they'd be standing there and going, huh? Who are you looking at? And many times in our lives we can see the same thing. Many times we're in church and someone will make this statement and go, praise God, I'm so glad to be in this church. And you go, huh? What's the matter with that? Oh, give him some time. He doesn't really understand. Well, the reason, we're gonna, I believe there's a reason for that, and I think a lot of it is that after a time, the natural process, the love of many grows cold. We wax cold. We forget that we were once, what great sin we have been forgiven, and the price for that sin that was paid to be forgiven. And pretty soon, like I said in, in, in Hebrews, several other places, it says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Now, remember what that word despise means. Give little attention or value to. We just, oh, that's just the Lord. Oh, that's just the church. That means you're despising it. You're not seeing the glory of God. That truly is the Son of God. Lord, what must I do to be saved? Lord, I... No, oh, that's just Jesus. He's just acting up again. Oh, you see, that's just the church. No, you're despising it. Now, in Proverbs, it says, despise not the instruction of your father or mother. Oh, that's just mom and dad telling me what to do again. You have missed out on the heart of God. Now, the reason for that is we, for, we don't equate forgiveness with love and love with obedience. And again, we also think obedience means I'm being told what to do, and if I do that, then I'm okay. That's legalism. That's the law. That is, now, that's what the, that the young rich ruler said. I am doing all that I'm told. Jesus said, there's another thing I want. I want you. Now, I think if you would have asked, he probably was tithing, he probably was giving, he probably thought he was a, a, a good man. I think outwardly probably was. But when it came to who was going to run his life, well, he was. And it touched him. And so some of the things that God is going to speak to you on are going to be the things that seem like, oh, God's not interested in that. No, he's not. You are! Your life does not consist of all the stuff that you have. How many people say, oh, we know that? Just now, yeah, I know that. Let's move on. Can we go to something deeper? Now he's going to touch all that stuff to see, to show you. He already knows where you are. He's going to show you where your heart is. And either it's, ah, and when that does, immediately let that go. Doesn't, well, you don't know, that'll change my whole life. That's what he wants, Paul. That's what he wants, David. That's what he wants, Noah. That's what he wants, Peter. That's what he wants. Well, I'm never going to eat that. I've always, I have something. What are the Thomas? This Jesus comes after after he's raised from the dead, 
and shows him. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see in this. Jesus says, there it is. What is Thomas's response? My God and my King, what do you command? See, at that point, there has to be a dissolving of what God is speaking to. Now, it's going to seem to be, like I said, while we are in this world, we are not to view the world as the world views itself. We're not to view it as sinners. We're not to view it as a self-conscious person, but a person who has no self. We are Christians. My, it's no longer I that live. How many people here have some desires? How many people like to do stuff? Well, that's where God's going to meet you. See, because the Bible says that we are subject to vanity, so we could also be subject unto hope. Ecclesiastes, we read it. All, you know, the, the, only com- the only thing that's worth of any value is loving God and keeping His commandments. Now, the only way that I can actually show forth my love is to practice the Word and, and to do stuff. I just don't know how spiritually to say it. What you do shows where you're at. See, Saul used to go around persecuting the church. It showed where he was at. And it was so much of, a, of him and so much of a sign of who he was. After he got saved, you know what people said? We don't trust that man because of what he did. Well, he might have got saved, but what he did is still speaking to me. Now, this is where I believe heresy can come in, or the, not even heresy, but just the natural reasoning of, in ourselves of being self-conscious, saying, oh, I read the Word... This is what it means. If you, have, if, you think you have a, if you have interpreted the Word of God by any private interpretation, you are wrong. I need the Holy Spirit, the, whole, the Spirit of God in me. He discerns what is the Spirit of God and what the Word of God is saying, not you. See, that's why people say, well, I know what the Word of God... You know that most Christians know what the Word of God says? And you know what they do? They fight over it. That's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. Somebody is wrong. And it's you. Now, you know, it's very hard to be wrong. I don't know why it is, because, I mean, look at it. When was the last time you did anything right? But yet when, I'm no sinner, no one tells me, what is the matter with you? Wait a minute. That's just that self-nature, sin rising up. Wait a minute. God's trying to get a hold of my... Which one do I want to protect? Do I want to protect my life? Jesus said if you protect your life, you'll for sure lose it. But if you lose your life... See, it doesn't make sense. You've been raised in the world, the advertisements in the world, the spirit of the world, even your own sensual desires are coming against you saying, I know what the Word of God says, but it just doesn't make sense. I just don't believe it. I just don't see it. It's not going to make sense. And somewhere along the line, that's where I need to grab hold of faith and saying, this Word is more important to me than my necessary food. It comes back to real stuff. Oh no, I love God more than all the golden cattle on a thousand hills. Not interested. You're not that rich. You know, I used to be able to give away everything I owned because I never owned anything. Until I started to get some stuff. It was a little harder then. Yeah. It was easy, easy to have no reputation when I didn't have one. But pretty soon people got to, you know, have a reputation. A little harder to lose. But Jesus says that I, I want you to live as I live. See? 
this is more important to me than my stuff. It's more important to me than my daily food. It's more important to me than what I think, feel, or desire to do. Every desire has to be put aside. Well, why would I do that? Well, let's turn to Ephesians 4. And like I said, sometimes we, we come up with doctrines, and I think doctrines come through the church because in Ephesians 4, it also says, beware that... Well, let me read that because it's kind of a wordy kind of a thing. In verse 14 of chapter 4. Again, there is a great purpose that God has for you and for the church. Get your eyes on that purpose. Don't get your eyes on the storm. Don't get your eyes on the Pharisees. Don't get your eyes on, on the bread. Don't get your eyes even on... Don't get your eyes on salvation. We are not here to worship salvation. We're not here to worship miracles. We're here to worship and to honor and to live for Jesus Christ. And we can be like Job, though he slays me, though he doesn't bless me with another thing, though my body be covered with saw boils, yet I will praise him because he is God. I don't run my own life. And we are always in competition with God trying to get out of the way. Let me drive. Come on, I want to show. Make a right. No. You do not run your life. Paul, isn't it time you stop? I called you from the foundation of the earth. In your mother's womb, I set you apart to preach the gospel. Now, hear me. Drop everything. And let me run your life. Hallelujah. Now, God has a purpose for you, and that's that we are to glorify God. And let Him tell you how to do that. No, 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 let Him tell you how to do it. Let Him do it. Now again, we're success-orientated because how many people here want to grow up to be unsuccessful? How many people want to grow up to be put in prison? How many people would like to be beaten? How many people would like their, their children and their grandchildren, as far as they could be, know, to be slaves in a foreign country? Huh, nobody wants that. And I don't think God wants that either. But he will allow everything in this world for his purpose to be fulfilled in you. So here we have Joseph, very self-conscious person. He had a coat on. Now, you, when you ever get nice things, do you notice them? Yeah. I mean, I and again, I'm not I'm not one that really you know lives on the philanthrop philandering whatever it is fancy fancy part of life. But I notice nice things even with my my wife when she wears gold. I'm always watching the gold. I count them, make sure everyone is there, and I notice that. Now, D Joseph had a coat of many colors, and he knew his dad liked him. And I think he got that coat, probably walked like a little bit of a peacock. You know? God wasn't interested. See, God is not interested in Joseph's success. See, sometimes we read the story and we go, oh, wow. We get the wrong meaning from the story. We think, oh, see, it all worked together for the good. For all the bad stuff happened to Joseph, Joseph finally got to have a good time. No, that's not the purpose. The purpose is that God's purpose would be done, that God would be glorified, and that Joseph would come to himself and realize it was not about him. 
And again, we're so self-conscious. And we're, we're, there's a heresy in the teaching in, 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 in people is that we think God is really concerned about me. He's here to take care of me. No, we're here to serve Him. We are the bricks. He is the builder. We are the clay. He is the, the potter. We are the trees. He's the man who, the orchardman. Orchardman? But so many times it's, oh, see, how many people have gotten mad at God because He didn't take care of you the way you thought? Well, maybe He had another plan for your life. And we were just so hard-hearted and, and so self-conscious that we couldn't even think of what God wanted. Because I don't like, I, I mean, how many, I was out preaching the gospel and this is what I get, I get thrown in prison. I mean, I was just trying to do what God said. I even had a vision. I'm talking about Paul. There he was, went to Macedonia. Is that what it was? Preaches the gospel, gets thrown in prison. His back is laid open. Well, what's he begin to do? He begins to praise God. Why was he able to do that? Well, he had to go through this wrestling, saying, either I'm going to live for myself. I know bad things have happened. This doesn't seem right. I don't know what it is. But I know that my God is well able to deliver me. I know that my God has a purpose, whether it be life or death. See, I, how many people know that God has a purpose and it's make you rich? How many people know that God has a purpose and it's to make you comfortable? How many people know that you don't mind suffering a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's all going to work out together for the good, and what's his name going to come with a $10,000 check and you won the, the uh, Reading House sweepstakes or whatever? That's, yeah, that, that's my, my level of patience is about 15 minutes on a good day. On something that doesn't really bother me, I might actually go through a day. But after that, it's like, come on. I, how many people just want some stuff? Have you demanded from God? Have you been mad at God because He didn't give it to you? He wants to touch you. you, you then, If things are running your life, who's the God of your life? Stuff. Stuff. And you need to be set free, young rich ruler. Because he that is, has his other things controlling him is not going to be set free to serve God. So, there is a purpose. Ephesians 4 talks on this purpose rather a lot. But there's also things that come in, teachings that come in that really are catered to your soul. I think Galatians talks about it. Quite a place, few places in the Bible. There's people who come in trying to like get to your feelings. Oh, have you ever noticed how sympathetic people can be? Have you ever noticed how sympathetic the Lord wasn't? He didn't. He didn't. He, it, now, I, again, not that he wanted to be rude, but he was. His his desire was to fulfill God's purpose. So it didn't matter if he had to embarrass somebody. It didn't matter if someone had to get angry. It wouldn't even matter if five thousand people would walk away. His purpose was not to fulfill his desire or to be self-conscious, but that God would be glorified in his life. His flesh was only a brick in that scheme. And in so doing, He became the author of eternal salvation. That for all time, we should say, look at Him. Live like Him. Let Christ, let that mind, let that heart, let that life live in you and express itself as that great servant who had flesh like we had flesh, but put it all aside. But what if you know something? What if you know something for sure that the Bible says? If you don't know Him, you don't know what the Bible says. And if you are not doing the things that that Word says, you are deceived. Because the devil's going to come to you with, peop with teachings. 
that appeal to you. Devil came to Jesus in the great temptation. What did he come with? The Word of God, because he knew Jesus knew the Word of God. Knowing the Word of God and then knowing the Word of God is two different things. We can know the Word of God, but if it's, if it's from a self-centered purpose that's keeping me from, well, I've done all those things. I, 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 don't, I don't need to sell all that I have. You don't know Him because there's that one area that's still rebelling against God and God's trying to say, give me that. But if I give you that, what, you know, if I go back to Egypt, Pharaoh's going to kill me. And besides, my, my Hebrew brothers, they don't really like me anyway. And besides that, I don't speak Hebrew so good because I was raised in the Egyptian house. They don't like me. God said, give it up. Jesus was in heaven. The Word was in heaven with Father for all times. And God says, now this is, this is a heart that hopefully we'll get to. I want to save that world. Son, go down. Yes. And what did he do? The gospel starts with he gave up everything. And then when he gave up everything and he found himself one day being born, how many people have said, well, I've done enough. I gave up everything already. I mean, isn't it about time now I get? And found himself giving up everything, being born as a human. He was subject to his parents. Found in fashion of a man. He had all the things that you go through, having to learn, having to make mistakes, having to be corrected, having to be under parents, having to get a job, having the desires, this, that, and found himself in man. He humbled himself. He had already given up everything. Well, I've already given my life to Jesus. That was the beginning. Yes, my God and my King, Thomas, wanted to go to India and preach the gospel. Yes, Lord, let's go. I think it was Thomas who went to India or something like that. Ephesians 4. Keep your eyes on the great purpose that God has for you. He's desiring to perfect the saints that the work of the ministry, the work of service would be done in you that the body of Christ would be built up. You want to talk about suffering? It puts you in the church. Have you ever noticed that one of your greatest gripes is with God's people? That's because you're, he, he brings out the self-conscious in you. You know, it would be easier just to be Paul. Oh, I'll kill those people. They can't speak against me. Rang, bang, wham, and killing them. But then he had to then be like Jesus and strip himself. And he having to deal with Corinthian church and this church here and there. Like, he says, I'd be gladly be poured out. He wasn't poured out before. He was a prideful, arrogant man. A man who knew everything. A man that had his own way. He had authority. He could wield. But he said, now, Who is burns and I don't burn? Who falls into sin and I'm not touched? Daily the care of the church comes upon. His heart was changed from the self-centered Paul, the self-righteous Paul, the Paul that knew the Word of God to him who met Jesus Christ and his life was changed and he changed the world. But that starts with Or we can be people that get on our own thing and say, well, I'm the body of Christ. They did that. No, this is the body that Jesus died for. This is where God desires to dwell. This is where He's going to move. This is His vessel to glorify His name. 
How dare I come up with another idea? Well, I dare because I'm self-conscious, and I thought the gospel was all about me. Well, the God, that's why we are not of the world. That's why the gospel... See, the, the salvation, the gospel message does not come from man. That's why we're always trying to bend it to make it palatable to man. Well, you know, if we can just kind of make it so people understand it, they'll come to the Lord. They will never come unless God draws them. And the only way God's going to draw them is if we walk in what He says to walk in and allow the Holy Spirit to do it. But we're so, we're so self-conscious. We, we all want to succeed. Well, maybe God doesn't want you to succeed. Wait a minute. He says, do you believe... See, what... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're good. See, what is life? What is life? Now, we talked about it. Life is not in the abundance of things that you have. Oh, we know that. Well, then when God touches your stuff, has your reaction, oh, thank you, Jesus. My life is... See, this is what life is. Jesus is life. The Bible says He is the way, the truth, and the life. But what are many times we get caught up? Well, I need to eat this, and I need to drink this, and I don't want anybody to take... My life is... Oh, my job. My job is my life. And I gotta get I gotta have a time. No, that is not your life. That's what the world is telling you. But we are not of the world. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your life is in my hands. If you don't do what I say, I'll throw you into the fire. Throw us in. That is not my life. Oh, that's gonna hurt for a minute or two. And sometimes our minutes last for years. But the Bible says the suffering that you go through here is not worthy to be compared to the glory to come. And most of us don't go through any suffering, but we put ourselves through it. When's the last time you've been beaten for the Lord? Anybody come and steal your property for Jesus? Been followed? Been Not yet. I believe it's coming, even in this country. And in that time, you know what we need to do? We need to be free of all those things. I, I think about things like this. I mean, I have, most of you know, I, I like oriental rugs, and I, I like rugs. I got a lot of nice rugs. I think, what if someone... Now, this happened to me in Turkey. They stole all my rugs. I mean, they stole our whole hotel. But when they stole the rugs, it really hurt. But, you know, I don't know how that's all going to work. But I don't think well, they're going to come in and take all my rugs. And then they'll rip my, right in front of my face. I don't... You know, how am I going to react to things like that? You have stuff like that. Well, yeah. Now, we can imagine when those, when those bad people do it, we'll be okay. But what if the brothers sell you into slavery? Yeah, but you are still self-conscious, Joseph. You are still thinking it's all about you, Joseph. And Joseph finally says, it wasn't all about me. It wasn't even all about you. It was God had a purpose. Let that purpose work in your life. So our life is not in what... We'll get to that. But oh, I'm going to read here. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Unity is something that has to be pressed into. It doesn't just happen... It's something that I need to see because Jesus sees it. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus desired to do the will of the Father. There was things that tried to tear Him apart from the Father, even so much that He's on the cross, it would seem like God had turned His back on Him. He said, Father, Father, why have You forsaken me? At that moment, He could have called down the angels. He could have stopped this stuff. He saw all people free from Him. He saw those that He was dying for a curse and spit upon Him. And it seemed like His Father turned His back on Him. But he desired that God's will was more important than his own thoughts or teachings. That's what changes a person. It's not, well, I got, I got this scripture here. You got nothing. 
unless you know him and that life is working in you. Unity of the faith. I have to press into that. And it's going to cost you your life. It costs Jesus his life. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, isn't that wonderful for Jesus? No, he wanted you to walk in that way. It cost Jesus his life. Well, that's, and it that says, the servant isn't above his Lord. It's just enough to be like him. Well, I'm not going to give that up. Exactly. That's your sin. And you, the sin is you don't recognize God in it. You think it might be Eve. You think it was because you were naked. You think it's the pastor. You think it's the church. You think it's... No, God is saying, sell all that you have and follow me. Let that mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Knowing and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. God's desire that he would live in his body that His fullness and His way, His truth and His life would be manifest in us as a people that, oh, we're going to deal with selfishness. We're going to deal with sin. We're going to deal with things. We're going to hear that turn quickly and say, my life is for Jesus. His loving kindness is better than life. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is what I wanted to get to so, so long ago. There's teaching that comes in, and they're from people. And we get turned by winds of doctrine. We get turned by winds of being sent. How many people here like to be... I mean, I really like... I, I cry at old movies. I cry sometimes at commercials. How many people like the feeling of being sensitive? I mean, even... Oh, and sometimes I sit there and go, look how what a nice person I am. I'm crying because the dog died. And there's some, isn't it? How many, does anybody relate to me or am I just nuts? I mean, I might be nuts, but how many people still relate to that? We, we like feeling good about ourselves. Oh, look at me. I really got touched by that. Oh, I really do care. You only care about your reputation. God needs to smash that until you're of any use to Him. So cry at the old movie, but you ain't getting into heaven for that. And really, you know, Sometimes I just cry at songs. I don't even know the words. It's just the melody that moves me. And I figure, you know, I, 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 I kind of I, I like to relate to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. You know, oh, that I was made of stone like you. You know, sometimes I sit there and I cry and I realize how tender I am. I'm just confessing. Now, see, you're laughing. The reason you're laughing is you don't believe that I'm tender, do you? How many people do not believe I'm tender? Come on, show of hands. Thank you. The reality is... See, and I, I sit there and I cry and I go, oh, people just don't realize how tender I am. And see, I can get... Now, now, part of that's true, but then quickly it goes to some self-righteous place. Yeah. I'm just opening up my soul to you. And if you haven't done that, you better open it up to the Lord because you could quickly get to see... You know, if I was left alone... Wow. You could be so self-righteous. You know, it's good that you're in the church that bothers you to no end. Otherwise, you look how, I mean, look how bad you are now. Just think what it would be if you were just totally left to yourself. Man. Yeah. So again, there's things that, you know, don't be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, the slight of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. There's some, you know. Now again, it depends on how you want to hear that. Was Jesus deceiving people? Or was he speaking the truth? 
I'm waiting for an answer. Oh, you made a judgment on that, didn't you? How did you know he was speaking the truth? See, it's like, huh, we got these wonderful doctrines now. I mean, absolutely nothing until I get actually tried. Well, we only know he's speaking the truth is if I'm practicing this word. See, and if I'm not, I could become, I could listen to other doctrines by the slight of man and crunning craftiness, and we can get into like, oh, we need to be nice and we need to talk like this. And God's really not concerned about anything you do as long as you've met Jesus and the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. How many people? How many people like that message? And it's just so nice. And I'll tell you what. God loves everybody. And these are true truisms, but they are not the truth. And the practicality of him working out does not support the truth and therefore lead us astray because most people, me included, want to, and we have to fight this, is we want people to like us. We want, I wish this church was 5,000 and I could sit back and do nothing all the time and just get up and people go, oh, isn't that pastor wonderful? And I could make a message that said, now God is love and God loves everybody. Now I know you haven't been too good this week, but praise God, you made this tremendous sacrifice to come to church this Sunday and God is so happy and pleased with you. I want to tell you how moved I am to see this people here today. And they'd say, oh, isn't that man nice? He cries at old movies. <laughs> now I don't want you to know that person. There was a time when Jesus would weep. It wasn't mostly in front of everybody. When you see Jesus, you say, woman, what are you doing? Disciples, what are you doing? Here's the truth. It's kind of like needs to be... You know what you do when you have sensitive teachers? You have dumb students. Oh. Oh, look at Victor. He's dyslexic. The poor little boy. Give him some drugs. Oh, look now. He's so... Oh, Victor, are you happy? Yeah, I'm real happy. Victor, this is the way you... I don't want to hold the pen. Hold that pen right like that. Ah, I suffered pretty soon. Wow. I learned how to write. I didn't learn much from sensitive teachers except on how to take advantage of them. We're being desensitized. Well, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be sensitive to myself. You don't need any help on being sensitive to yourself. Oh, well, don't they know my feelings? That's one of the biggest problems. We do know your feelings. And I don't like to have to like, oh, come. I mean, you know, the kids, they're so cute. You don't want to have to spank them. I don't want to have to yell at them. They just look so cute and, oh, they really didn't mean to do it. It says you hate your child if you do that. Now, I need to love them when there's cute times and cute times. But we are called to a purpose. Hallelujah. Doctrines. We need to be in the doctrine of the word. So now, now I'm going to get to the message. Hallelujah. That was a running start. We need to be not absorbed with ourselves, and the problem is it's a continual battle. And it seems like God has allowed us in that battle, so don't try to get rid of it. Some people say, well, I've tried that. It never goes away. It's not going away! It seems to be God's plan that we remain in this body and, in, and you're going to have trouble in the flesh. You're going to have problems in the church. 
You're going to have problems and everything. How can we have so many problems? Because you're not of this world and the whole world is coming against you. You have been created from the seed of God, from heaven above, and you are different. You are made, created different. There is a different purpose in you. Your DNA is different. I'm talking spiritually. And again, the only thing I can try to relate to is my time in Vaughan. I'm an American citizen. My parents were born here. My ancestry is Armenian. And they hated me because I was Armenian. I could learn Turkish. I could change my name. I could do anything. They hate me. Well, I had two choices. I could feel sorry for myself. But from time to time I would do. Or... I could say, let him hate me. I've got a work to do. I don't want them to like me too much. I mean, I like them to let me so they don't, you know, steal my stuff and kill me. But no matter what you do, you can act like the world. You can dress like the world, drink like the world, talk like the world, uh, obey like the world. And you know what? They're still going to hate you because your DNA has been changed. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4. Are you still in Achievement chapter 4? Quit laughing, Larry. Oh, we're going to be there for a long time. Verse 30. Chapter 4 of Ephesians. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with all malice. I like to do those things. Do you know, you know why the Bible talks about not gossiping? Because when people like to gossip, it's called you know, evil speaking. How many people like to be bitter? Show of hands. Come on. God didn't save the good people. He saved the sinners. I just have some bitterness. That's what I'm trying to get rid of. Don't hold on to it. Don't claim it. I got, I'm bitter. Don't claim it. Get rid of it. God's bringing you to the places. They see you're bitter. Get rid of it. No, well, I have, I have a reason to be bitter. No, you don't. The only reason you have to be bitter is because you're a sinner and Jesus came to kill that person. You're going back. So, if, how many people, does anybody here deal with bitterness or anger during the week? Hallelujah. You're in the right place. He wrote the book to you. It's nothing to be ashamed about. He's subject you under that so he can have the Holy Spirit work in you and you can go through bitterness and anger and you're going to come out the other side and say, I forgive you. God had a great purpose. I don't have to kill you now when you show up for food. I've got a reason to be bitter. I've got a reason to be bitter. I've been here for 30 years. I've been treated badly. You haven't been treated near the way you should be treated. Let all bitterness. See, we can read that and I'm going to start wearing robes, I think. I've got to really improve my image. It's not going to help. If I wear robes, you're going to hear about it in, in the town. There's a weird cult over there. And if somebody else can do it, they get away with it. Let all bitterness. See, we can read this in, in the ways that I just read it or we can read it like this. I want a church of 5,000 I want nice people. How many people would like some nice people in church? They're not coming to church. The nice pe Jesus didn't come for the nice people. And it's the nice people that ended up killing him. 
It's the good people that... It's the people that didn't have... Oh, I don't have, I don't have any bitterness in my life. Get away from me. Get away, get away. I don't even know who you are. Friends. I got to bleach my skin. Let... <laughs> ha! Ha! My wife's not here lately, so I'm you know, going through all kinds of stuff. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor with evil speaking be put away from among you. Now, really what I'm saying is, I know you don't really have those things, but let's all just try to get along and be nice people. That's not the gospel. Gospel came, the Son of God came to show you how dirty you were. And the reason we do not do the Word of God is because we forget that we're forgiven. If I don't deal with bitterness daily and overcome, one of two things is going to happen. I'll let bitterness overtake me and I'll just be bitter. I'll have anger, wrath, and... And I'll feel like, oh, I'm not worthy. No, that's a good place. You're not worthy. Hallelujah. We should come to the place that we're not worthy. Repentance doesn't bring me to a knowledge of sin. It brings me to the place that I'm totally unworthy to be here. Lord, I need a Savior. Wow, He saved me. How much could I possibly love Him? Well, we're going to find out. Over here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away. You're going to come face to face, Joseph, with bitterness, anger, wrath, um, vengeance. You're going to be able to live your own life or will you allow me to rule in you? That will cost you your entire dreams, visions, success, everything. Be kind one to another and tender-hearted. Here's the verse. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Why are you forgiven? Not because you deserve it. Not because you're even any better. Even after you've gotten forgiven and Jesus saved you, your flesh is not any better. It's just that Jesus became... Let's turn to that. Second Corinthians chapter... Now, if we don't understand this, that we are forgiven for Christ's sake. He became the fulfillment of the law. He became the righteousness of the law that we, through Him, that, that His righteousness was put on our bill. When Jesus looks at you, when God looks at you, He sees you forgiven and righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not for anything that you've done. Not because you even still deal with things. But for Christ's sake, He has forgiven you. So in like manner, what's it saying to you? If you truly have been forgiven, what should you do to others? Forgive them. What does forgiveness imply? That they've done something you need to forgive them for. Well, how come they're always doing that? Because you still haven't learned how to forgive maybe? Well, how come they're like that? Well, first off, they're a people. And second off, you're still judging their pants off and thinking it's all about you when you have learned that it's now Christ has forgiven you. Let this mind be in you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And your life would be to, maybe, that's there, Paul. 
so I'll show you what great things you're going to suffer for my name's sake. We think, oh, that's going to be like, they're going to whip me and cut me. Well, they might do that. But some of the worst suffering you're going to do is right here in these pews. have to listen to an hour of this stuff. You're going to have to, oh, I have to forgive them. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean just, oh, well, everything. Forgiveness means I forgive, but also then I practice the word. So we are forgiven by Christ, for, by God, for Christ's sake. For what Christ has done, we are forgiven and 100% righteous. We now are to walk in that to forgive one another. Just as, not, well, they have to prove it before I forgive. No. Have you proved it to Christ yet? No. God's forgiveness is 100% done by redemption and by the great exchange that one died for all, all are forgiven. Worthy, unworthy, doesn't matter. Forgive. Let that heart be in you. And then I also need to forgive. But we'd rather be bitter, wouldn't we? We'd rather blame. The Bible says, don't do that. Yeah, but I... Uh, uh, yeah, but... How many people say, well, I forgive them, but... Then, uh, how many people have gone from forgiveness to murder in about three seconds? Yeah, I'm just speaking from personal experience. For he, in verse 21, in 5, 2 Corinthians, for he hath made him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Now, again, there's a chapter here, but in the original letter, there's no chapters. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. He makes a coupling there of being righteous and forgiven to being a worker. Okay. You right now... See, God deals with us through redemption. We call it something by faith pictures. But we don't understand. God doesn't have to, like, exercise faith. See, God's not tempted and going, okay, boy, I know Jesus died for Victor, but there he is sinning again. I'm really having a hard time forgetting. He doesn't do that. In God, he's a God of covenant, and he doesn't, he's not tempted by evil. He doesn't have a soul like we do. When, when Christ has redeemed us, he looks at you, and you are righteous. Not... Not looking at all that stuff that we look at. He knew it's in his heart. He says, I know what's in his heart. My son has forgiven him. Now, there are still consequences. Don't, don't, um, but I'm looking at a place. God looks at us. Now, as people, we have to exercise a faith picture. Because I see all of oh, this stuff. and that. You are righteous because Jesus became sin. That you might become the righteousness of God. Now, if that has taken place... The letter goes on. We then as workers together with Him. Oh. See now, the heresy that I'm trying to talk about, we take, I'm the righteousness of God and we are forgiven all sins. See now, what the, usually the doctrine that comes out of at least the mind start question. Well, if we're forgiven everything, why can't we just do whatever we want? Anybody ever deal with that? Yeah. And that's become doctrine. Some people say, no, you can't. God answers that right here. If you've been forgiven and you are the righteousness of God, we then are, are workers together. We ought not to receive that grace in vain. It's First Timothy. Now, so again, we're forgiven for Christ's sake. It's totally independent of you. You're not like, well, I'm saved because I finally got it together now. I'm praying. No, no, no. God, God made some determinations about you. 
He made some determinations about Saul. He made some determinations about me before the foundations of the earth. And some 30, 40 years ago, he said, I'm going to meet you on this path of going to Alaska, and that's where you're... I met my destiny. I didn't want to get saved. I wasn't no one. Same thing for you. But now that Paul is going, I'm going to persecute the church. We'll take those people. And God said, now his life has, must change. See, Not just, okay, well, now that's really good. Uh, you know, uh, and again, when I first got saved, I kind of thought, oh, well, this is really wonderful now that I'm, I'm saved. Uh, I thought I didn't have far to go. I thought the Lord would probably return at the end of the week because, I mean, how much, you know, I, had, I, I looked like the Lord. I thought I had long hair. I didn't eat meat and all kinds of stuff like that. And my life really, my life hadn't changed. I had an experience with Jesus, but I was still going to hop freight trains for Jesus. I was still going to go to India and study in an ashram and, you know, preach the gospel. <laughs> tack them on at the end. Don't make them number one. Just tack them on at the end. You know, like Saul. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't destroy everything. We're going to keep it to, we're going to worship you with tack them on the end. No, Jesus must be first. I'll show you what great things you're going to suffer for my name's sake. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. We're not getting anywhere today. Chapter 6. So now we'll work us together with God. If you've been forgiven, if you believe the faith picture that God has for you, but it's not really a faith picture from His end, if you believe you are the righteousness of God, if you've been forgiven much, we're going to get to that Scripture. Something's going to well up inside you. You're not going to see how much you can get away with. You're going to see how much you can do. But see, there's this doctrine because we're so self-confident we think God is going to revolve around us. Well, you know, I'm sinning. No, it's okay. No! I want to grab hold of your life. I want you to know me. Paul talks about it another way. I want to apprehend that which I've been apprehended of Christ for. He had realized that Jesus became sin for him and now he was the righteousness of God. His old life was 100% sinful. He has to be totally different. Lord, let me be a worker for you, whether it's life or death or sickness or hell or life. And that's what Paul writes. He said, who could separate us from the love of God? Could sword, could famine, could starvation, could the church? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Pummel me all you want. I'm going to get up because he's in me. You're so self-confident. You're still living in sin. Self-conscious. It's all about me and I had a dream and when is things going to work out? They're never going to work out. Not in that life. Not in the life that we have here. Our life is in Christ. The Bible does that. And our life is hid in Christ. And when Christ appears... Then our life will appear. That's why Jesus said, Stop seeking your life. I've got it hidden. And now my life is in you here. Do what I've asked you to do. It's going to rip you apart. Have you noticed all the people coming to church has a message like this? Well, that's the message they were preaching back then. This same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ. A few days ago, you nailed him to the cross. You spit on him. You rejected him. What must we do to be saved, they said. Well, you see, I don't want to, you know, and that. Well, this message is not of this world. It's going to call people out of this world. It's going to call people to be on fire for God that are going to turn the world upside down, not go to Vaughn, but go to Afghanistan and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and South America and preach this gospel. It might get you out of here and get you working for the unity of the saints. It might cause you to put down some nonsense that's going on in your brain and saying, Lord, it's not my life. Hallelujah. 
I've got some problems in my life. I've got some issues I can't seem to shake. You know what God said? My grace is sufficient. When are these problems going to go away? Paul, i got something to tell you. They're not going away. I want you to know my grace, not get over the problem. Whoa, my grace. If you're filled with the grace of God, you'll turn the world upside down. You'll pull your stupid doctrines along. You'll pull your feelings along. You'll preach the gospel into the ends of the earth. See, I don't see. I don't agree with that. I haven't agreed with God for many years now. And he hasn't changed yet. And I get so self-conscious, I think everything he's doing is wrong. I think he has a good chuckle. I don't know if he does. I, that, that would be me. First Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Have you been forgiven? Are you the righteousness of God? Well, see, isn't that all there is? No, we don't worship salvation. We don't worship what God is doing. We are here for God Himself. We're here to worship Jesus. Well, isn't that all we just saved? No, you got saved to fight the good fight. What do you mean fight? We're here to fight. You're going to have a fight every day in your mind. You're going to have a fight every day in the church. You're going to have a fight every day with your husband, your wife, your children. But put this in your brain. Fight the good fight. I'm tired. How many people are tired of fighting? I warned you. And I'm warning the children. As you get older, you're going to get tired. And my word is, get over it. Yeah, yeah, I can't build a house as fast as I used to, but I still got to get out there and build it. I can't do all the stuff that I want to do in the church, but I still got to keep... I have to continue to fight. Jesus didn't retire. He went to the cross. I'm just tired of fighting. You have the wrong attitude then. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Well, I just don't want to be involved. Get over it. Put your mind in, I need to fight the good fight. The fight of faith. And what? Lay hold on eternal life. I need to lay hold of eternal life. I don't think this is talking about salvation. I think he says, I want to grab hold of that now. I want to lay hold of that fight now. The Bible says, I'm going to well, it says, quit you like men. Basically, shake yourself and start acting like a man. Well, I just, you know, everybody's always picking on me. I'm just tired. Of, you know, I, I, I've told the people this a hundred times, and they still don't listen. You know, I'm tired of going through the seven temptations. Fight the good fight of faith. See it as God sees it. That not be so self. Well, you're letting self rise up. Well, look at all these problems. Look at that's not the way God sees you. He says, "I see you're forgiven. I see you're righteous for what Christ has done." Now, I want you to view as I view. Paul turned the world upside down, but with that's going to come some suffering. He says, "Gladly, gladly, I endure that." His grace. I want to know His grace, not the deliverance from the situation, a deliverance in the situation that God may be glorified. If not, oh, I'm tired of my, you know, I preach the gospel, my back is laid open. I'm not going to preach the gospel anymore. And we would all say, oh, yeah, we understand, Paul. You know, you've really done enough. You would have missed out. I'm tired of always being, you're going to grow weary. The Bible says, strengthen yourself. War against being weary. 
fight the good fight of faith. Lay, hand, lay, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and have a good, and has to profess a good profession before many witnesses. Hallelujah. Ah, hallelujah. How many people are getting tired? Amen. Amen. How many people think I don't care? <laughs> I hate when preachers do that. I just, you know. Anyway, I want to continue, but I don't think I should because we've got something really important here. We're talking about the forgiveness of God and being a worker with God. I have to turn to one scripture. Let's give us a good jumping off point. I, I, I have to do it. As a matter of fact, Aaron actually came to me this morning, and I'm kind of glad he did because usually worship kind of goes on about two or three songs. I get kind of worked up to have to preach because I don't like preaching. don't like coming to church. I don't like even being here. But I'm speaking in the natural. So I like, uh, man, worship is going on. Kind of like, yeah, kind of feel like a, there's two or three songs like an old oh, man. So Aaron actually came to me today and said he actually cut. I, didn't, I, I never mentioned that to you before, right? right. Yeah, I didn't come up and say, Aaron, I, you know. And I have the right to say, okay, Aaron, shut up. Let me get up there and preach. But I don't I have to suffer just like you do. <laughs> and uh, so he came up to me today before worship. He said, I cut about three or two or three songs out because I felt like you had a, a, a good word and you're going to really preach long. And I said, boy, like always, I don't feel like I have anything. I said, well, maybe it'll be a good short service. Sorry to disappoint you. But Luke 7, Luke 7. And then, and then, we'll, then we'll, we'll most likely end. Luke 7. Okay, this is talking about the woman who put, you know, broke the alabaster box of oil on the feet of Jesus. I'm not, I'm, as a matter of fact, I won't be able to do this justice, so let me just read this one, one verse that will give us a good jumping off point for next week. Verse 47. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. How did Jesus know this woman loved him much? There's a way to know. And it's in that way God is going to plumb us. But the, the, with that also, she said, if you know you, how much you've been forgiven guess what you're going to do? You might actually love much. How many people just love Jesus way down deep in your heart? I don't care. That's between you and Him. But what Jesus is saying is I want you to be a worker. I want you to do. And in the doing, that will show me your love. That will let me know you've been forgiven. Now we're going to take off on that point because that's a, that's a tremendous story. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, your will be done and your kingdom come in our lives, in this church, in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.